For over 27 years, LearnIt has helped more than 2 million individuals develop new skills and empowered them with confidence to thrive in an ever-changing workforce. We welcome you to the LearnIt Podcast, where we come together as employees, managers, executives, and learning champions from across the globe to take time to focus on our professional development. Together, we will tackle today's toughest challenges and dive into the topics that are key to success in today's workplace. Stay tuned to listen and learn from LearnIt expert instructors and the LearnIt community in order to upskill, reskill, and achieve overall success in your career. To learn more about LearnIt and our diverse offerings of soft skill, business application, and health and wellness workshops, please visit www.learnit.com. Good morning and welcome. My name is Mickey Fitch Collins. Um, I have the pleasure of being not only the host of this session, but also the facilitator of today's session. We are going to be learning, this is a short form class of our longer two-hour class on running psychologically safe meetings. A couple of things, just want to share a little bit about who am I, who's this person that's right in front of you right now. Um, I always like to tell people I am in my second career right now. So my first career was about 20 years uh, that I worked in higher education administration um, on the student support and student success side of the house. And so got the opportunity to work at a number of different colleges and universities through rising the ranks all the way up to chancellor's cabinet level positions kind of on that student support and student success side. And what that did for me is it gave me a ton of experience with managing teams and leading teams, um, facilitating meetings. I, I can tell you right now, I ran some really great meetings and I can tell you I ran some really bad meetings too. And so what I bring to you today is real life experience of some of those things that went really well and some of those things that didn't go so well. Now in my second career here in the learning and leadership development land, I'm very excited to bring uh, what I can from LearnIt as well as from the rest of our colleagues uh, to be part of this session here today. I did also get my PhD in leadership um, a few years back and um, my research was specifically focused around self-efficacy and supervision, particularly with middle managers. So the topic of running psychologically safe meetings is something that is very near and dear to my heart as that was actually part of my research too. So with that, um, I see um, Lori said that she didn't see the handout that came through. I will go ahead and put that handout um, back in the chat again for everybody. Hopefully that's coming through there. Um, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive into that content. And again, as you have questions or comments, please go ahead and use that chat there. So what I want to start with is this. I imagine everybody who's here this morning, you are all in charge of leading some meetings or have attended meetings in your place of work. And I want you to imagine, right, we all get a number of different meeting invitations and things like that for all of the different things that we need to attend to. But I need to, you to imagine that you just got a meeting invitation where you aren't the person who's running the meeting. Put yourself in that position right now. And you just received an email from the CEO of your company requesting to meet with you first thing tomorrow. Let's pretend it's not Friday, but first thing tomorrow at 8 a.m., right? There's no other context. There's no other details. They're not saying what it is that they want to talk with you about. You don't know the topic of the conversation. You don't know if you need to prepare anything. You don't know if other people are invited or if it's just you and the CEO. And furthermore, the CEO is known to be kind of a curmudgeonly sort of person, and you don't interact with them very often. So I'd love, go ahead and drop in the chat, how would you feel if you were experiencing this scenario that I just put out there? David says it's all too common, right? We have all been there before. 
Yeah. So go ahead and drop your, yeah, Candace, thank you so much for using that little emoji face. Ooh, right. If I could, if I could put a sound to that emoji, it would be right. Oh, yikes. Lisa says, Emily says anxiety. Lori says what now? Right. So before, you know, the meeting has even started, you already feel uncomfortable, right? This is a sign of psychological unsafety. You're no longer likely able to focus on the work that you are working on, right? Because instead, all you're doing is you're thinking about what is going to be happening in this meeting. It could be anything from you getting a major promotion, or maybe you're getting laid off. The surprise could be great. It could be neutral. It could be terrible. It could just be a personal check-in. Either way, you're already feeling uncomfortable and you're entering into an environment that feels uncomfortable. This feeling, as you just all described in the chat, right, anxiety, frustrated, worry, eek, all of this sort of stuff, this feeling of anxiety, stress, uncertainty, uncomfort, all of this stuff could potentially happen in the meetings that we're leading too. So if you're a manager or if you're an individual contributor, you are likely in charge of running some meetings at some point, right? And we don't necessarily know if the meetings that we're running are psychologically safe, and we may not know how do we actually run a psychologically safe meeting. So our goal for today is to learn how to do that, right? To not only assess our meetings, but learn how to run some of those more psychologically safe meetings so that the people that attend, as well as those people that don't attend, feel included, they feel safe to learn, and they feel safe to contribute. All right. So a couple of things we're going to talk about, right? We're going to learn what psychological safety is and how it relates to meetings. We're going to talk about how we assess our meetings, and we're going to apply six components to running better meetings, right? Running meetings that are more efficient, effective, and psychologically safe. And then at the end cap of today's short form course, right, we're going to talk about how power, privilege, and access can impact meetings. So first, let's start with this idea of psychological safety. What does this mean? So Dr. Timothy Clark, who's an advisor coach, and he's a, a big facilitator. He's written a whole bunch of books, right? He wrote a book called The Four Stages of Psychological Safety. So clearly, he knows a thing or two about this topic, right? He defines it as what you see on the screen there, a condition in which humans feel included, safe to learn, safe to contribute, and safe to challenge the status quo. All of this without the fear of feeling embarrassed being marginalized or punished in some way. I think of the word shame, right? Anybody who's a Brene Brown fan, she's always talking about feelings of shame, right? As human beings, as employees, as contributors, we thrive in environments that respect us and allow us to feel safe and included, right? And if we're in an environment that is considered emotionally expensive, fear and anxiety and worry shut us down. The bottom line of that is that we're not happy and we are most certainly not reaching our potential. But when the environment nurtures this feeling of psychological safety, as you see this, the, the description on the screen, there's an explosion of confidence, self-efficacy, right? This belief in our ability to get the job done, engagement in the work, satisfaction, performance, not to mention things like creativity, productivity, all of these sort of things, right? So for the purposes of today's course, right, the environment that we're talking about is a meeting. And I want you to recognize, too, there's all kinds of meetings that we attend and we lead. They can be decision-making meetings, brainstorming meetings, one-on-one -on -one meetings with our supervisor or a supervisee. They could be quarterly updates. They could be town hall meetings. They could be meetings with clients and people in the community, right? So there's all sorts of different types of meetings, right? But what we're talking about is application. This type of information we're going to talk about, you can apply to any type of meeting. 
So before we dive into how we make a meeting psychologically safe, I want to dive into why running a psychologically safe meeting is so important, right? So we need to understand the why before we get into the how. And you don't have to look very far, right? If you spend any time on LinkedIn, offsite, you know, any sort of places, you read articles from Harvard Business Review, Forbes, whatever it is, you don't have to look very far to read about issues around employee retention. The great resignation, the great reshuffle, quiet firing, I'm hearing now quiet hiring, right? There's information and research research out there that talks about every single time an employee leaves, it costs anywhere from two and a half times that person's annual salary up to eight times, depending on the level in the organization to replace that person. And that's just money. That's not all of the institutional or organizational knowledge that that person has. So why is psychologically running psychologically safe meetings so important, right? One of the number one factors that people look for, right, is they want to have meaning and purpose. If we don't feel like we have meaning and purpose in our work and we don't feel like we're included, man, we are likely to leave. We are looking for the door. So we want to do this to, you know, improve employee retention, enhance people's feelings of meaning and purpose so that I can see my fingerprints on the work that I do and how that rolls up into the bigger picture of the organization. We also want to do what we can to reduce bullying and marginalization. When we feel safe, we, there's feelings of inclusion and mattering for everybody. And it keeps folks from feeling like they're on the fringes or the edges or the margins of a group. We want to do what we can, right, to address issues of where there's ins and there's outs, people within the margins and people outside the margins. We also want to make sure that our employees are feeling more engaged, right? Team members who, who feel more engaged and more present are likely to be more focused, which means they're going to be more productive. They're going to be more motivated. They're going to be more satisfied. They're going to want to stay working there. Customers, by the way, can tell organizations where employees are satisfied and engaged, right? When, you know, a, a customer, when employee engagement goes up, guess what? Customer engagement goes up. Upwards of 40 to 50% for most organizations. They can tell when their employees are happy. They feel that through the customer experience. So lastly, having psychologically safe meetings, it just produces better results. We know this, if any of us have ever been part of a high-performing team, say, that's me in the chat. Go ahead and write, that's me. If you've been part of a high-performing team before, you know that as being part of a high-performing team, diversity of opinions, diversity of experiences, all of this stuff amplifies the quality of conversation. It amplifies all of the discussion that you have. It amplifies the intensity and the creativity and the innovation, right? If people don't feel like they are safe, if they don't feel like they can contribute, right, it defeats the purpose of having a team in the first place. So on the flip side of things, let's talk about what happens when we don't have psychologically safe meetings, when we have psychologically unsafe meetings. These unsafe meetings can lead to ooh, all sorts of stuff, right? A feeling of dread or fear about attending the meeting. Anybody ever have that? Give me a thumbs up in the chat or say that's me, something like that, right? Where you're thinking about a meeting that you have to go to. And you just get this feeling in the pit of your stomach, right? You feel anxious. You feel nauseous, Ooh, right? Give me the tums. Maybe when you go to that meeting, the meeting itself is not productive. You know, people are just kind of staring at one another. There's no real clear agenda. Nobody knows what you're supposed to be doing, why you're doing it, right? 
Maybe you're sitting in that meeting and you're constantly worrying and you're fearful about what if somebody finds out about the mistake I made? What if I'm wrong? What if when I say something, people laugh at me, right? Maybe we've been to meetings before. Man, I've been to some of these where participants just get shut down, right? You start sharing something and then all of a sudden somebody says, no, 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 we're not, we're not talking about that. That's not, that's not what, what's going on here. You're wrong. Oof, right? So psychologically unsafe meetings can lead to these feelings of shame, right? Devaluing us. Our self-esteem, it just goes in the basement, right? And all of these outcomes of psychologically unsafe meetings, these are super risky when we think about all of this stuff. They're risky for the organization. So whether you are a leader or an individual contributor, right, we all need to try to do what we can to cultivate the most positive environment that we have. But if we are running some of these psychologically unsafe meetings, guess what? People are going to be looking out the door, right? They are going to be looking for other opportunities. They are going to be looking for a place in a culture that values them. So as a meeting leader, we have a lot of weight on our shoulders. And as meeting attendees, we want to feel like we're welcome to be there. So we've seen kind of right what psychologically unsafe meetings can lead to. I see in the chat, several of us have been in there before, right? And we know what that experience can look like, right? And many of us, you know, the, the things that we just talked about, these can be experienced by us as individuals, but they impact our team. They impact the department. They can impact the entire organization. So it's my goal, right, to be able to help you build some of the skills to not run those psychologically unsafe meetings, but rather cultivate these skills to be able to actually get into psychologically safe meetings. So what I want you to do, if you have that handout that I just shared with you before, and I will pop it into the chat again here for you, um, in case you joined a little bit late, there's that handout coming through the chat right now. A couple of questions that I want you to think about, and feel free to grab a piece of paper out of your recycling bin, a post note, whatever's nearby, right? And I want you to answer some of these questions, or just think about them for a minute. When I'm thinking about my meetings, are employees asking questions? Are executives or team leaders dominating the conversation? Or is there actually opportunity for other people to contribute? Number three, this is a big one. Are healthy disagreements or differing points of view being shared? And number four, are employees sharing ideas and willing to discuss mistakes? If your answer is no to any of these questions, right, you likely have some room for improvement, right? And it's important to note that, you know, the, the right answers, whatever that might be, right, the right answers to these questions will vary depending on the type of meeting you're running, right? If, if it is a town hall, right, number two, this idea of executives and team leaders dominating, absolutely they're dominating it because that's the type of meeting that we're in, right? If we're in a one-on-one -on -one setting and our manager is the person who's dominating that conversation versus us because it's our dedicated one-on-one -on -one time, ah, that's a no for me right? When you're asking yourself these questions too, your assessment is likely a little bit biased, right? The people that, if we are people that lead meetings, we tend to have a more positive view than the attendees do, right? However, here's the thing is nobody's going to come up to you and say, oh, hey, by the way, this is a psychologically unsafe meeting that you're running. Oh, hey, by the way, I don't feel comfortable making mistakes. Oh, hey, by the way, I wanted to disagree, but I didn't feel like my disagreement was going to be welcome, right? So we have to be looking for this in a specific, in a different sort of way. 
our next set of questions here is to help us kind of think too about unconscious bias that you may be exhibiting as a meeting leader, right? So some additional questions that I want to offer to you, right, is what factors around inclusion or marginalization are at play? Meaning, am I bringing all the voices around the table in the room? Is everybody getting a chance to share? Am I marginalizing people based on who they are? Right? Am I, you know, do I have a, a bias towards people that are brand new to the organization? Maybe do I have a bias towards people that have been at the organization for a long time? I've seen that too. Oh boy, you know, Betty, she's been working here for 27 years. She's got an opinion about everything, right? Maybe I have a bias against people that I've had a past negative interaction towards. That's a very common one, right? Maybe I'm marginalizing people who are late arrivers to a meeting. The side chatter people, maybe I have a bias against them, right? Maybe I am unconsciously or consciously biased against people who speak up, right? The extroverts. Some people love those extroverts. Some people don't like them, right? Or maybe I'm biased towards or against people who are making eye contact with me, right? Think about that when we're a meeting. I don't want to contribute. Oh, I'm just going to look down at my paper and take some notes, right? Maybe I'm biased towards or against people who are taking notes, right? People who, um, you know, seem to be particularly engaged in their note taking or not, right? And maybe I'm actually consciously or unconsciously biased around people who are of a certain gender or of a certain race, right? We also need to consider and ask yourself this question too. What verbal and nonverbal cues or communications did you get about the meeting? Did you see people popping their eyebrows? when you said things. Anybody ever been in a meeting and heard this before? Right? Ugh. Right? The eye rolling, the uncomfortable shifting in the chair, the lean back, arms crossed, right? Those verbal and nonverbal cues, they also get us a ton of information, right? So when we think about this, right, you know, and this is what you would see in, in uh, Lori, I saw your message to me that you can't see the handout. Is anybody else having trouble um, opening up that handout? If, you, if, if you're good, maybe just say that you're good in the chat. If you're having trouble, um, Lori, I can be sure to connect with you offline too to get you that handout individually too. So, okay. Yeah, Lori, I'll, I'll get you that handout. But um, this is kind of the view of what that uh, first page looks like, right? So if we think about this, like, you know, this is this is the assessment um, of those meetings, those questions that I just went through. And I'm, I would love if, if folks in the chat, if you want to just kind of put something in there about like what sort of things revealed, you know, what sort of things maybe you re revealed, oh, I said no to that. And I need to maybe be a little bit better about that. Anybody want to share anything in the chat? One of the things that I would say, as people are probably writing something in the chat right now, one of the things I want to say, too, is that you need to run this type of assessment for each type of meeting that you run. So if you run one-on-ones, do it for that. If you run team meetings, do it for that. If you run project team meetings, do the assessment for that, right? Because the way in which we show up in all of these different meetings is different, and therefore, psychological safety can look different in each one of those. 
Emily says, I tend to be biased against people who are on phones or screens while other people are presenting. Yeah. And this, this is an interesting one, right? Because even, you know, when think about kind of pre-pandemic or wherever we are right now, whatever you want to call this, you know, moving through COVID, whatever you want to call it, is some people are the people that take notes on a laptop in a meeting. Some people are taking notes or, you know, something on an iPad or something like that, right? Um, some people love that. And some people are like, are you actually paying attention to me? Are you taking notes? Are you looking at something else? Right. Candace says bias against people who is always ask the same questions. Yeah. Good, good. Thank you both for sharing that. So the question becomes, all right, Mickey, I said no to a couple of these things. I felt maybe a little bit iffy, you know, how do I actually make my meetings safe and productive? So we've identified six different components to running a psychologically safe meeting, right? And we're going to go through each one of these, but they are determining the intention, promoting inclusion through an invitation, setting a positive tone, establishing predictability, facilitating inclusive contribution, and seeking feedback. So let's start first with this idea of determining the intention, right? What's interesting about psychological safety is that it actually starts before the meeting even starts. It starts with the intention of the meeting and who you plan to invite to that meeting. So let's dig into that a little bit. So when you're thinking about what's the intent of a meeting, right? You need to actually determine what's the actual intent or the purpose or the outcome of your meeting. And I will tell you, and I am guilty of this too, right? A lot of leaders and people who are setting meetings, I don't know, probably six out of 10 times, seven, maybe even eight or nine times out of 10, we are setting a meeting because we know we need to meet and talk about stuff, but not because we have a specific intent or an outcome in mind. We're not just here, you know, we, we need to define the goal, but we need to define the potential outcomes. And so the prompt that you see on the screen, right, is I encourage you, strongly encourage you to include this in every single meeting invite that you send. Actual language that says from this meeting, we will, and then you fill in, make a decision about X, brainstorm about Y, strategize solutions to A, check in about B update each other on C. But from this meeting, we will, because it communicates that outcome right away. And you should be able to answer this sentence and communicate it with the people that you're inviting. And in fact, if you're not able to answer that sentence, you maybe want to think about, should I actually be having a meeting in the first place? And, you know, that's a really interesting question too, is like, should I even be holding a meeting? I'm guessing I'm amongst friends here in the sense that I could deal with a few less meetings in my work life, right? None of us are probably sitting around going, oh gosh, I, I wish people would invite me to more meetings. I wish I got more meeting invites. I wish I got more emails, right? That's not real life. So you need to ask yourself the question, should I even be holding a meeting? Is there another form of communication that is just as efficient? Sometimes it's just we perceive it to be easy to just have a meeting versus engaging in other ways. So I encourage you to think about your meetings and figure out, is this transfer in, of information one way? Do I require feedback from the people who are participating in the session? And what is the real purpose of the meeting? Is it about consensus building? Is it about formalizing budget? Whatever that might be, right? But if your answer to the question, you know, is the transfer of information one way? Gosh, I just don't know that you need to meet, right? Because if you are truly just sharing information, what's the purpose of the meeting? It's an information sharing meeting. Can you do that in other methods? You betcha. 
So hopefully you've answered those questions, right? And you can ask yourself those questions as a filter of, yep, actually, I do need to have a meeting. But again, you put these types of things from this meeting, we will make a decision, brainstorm, strategize, check in, update, decide. The second component of this is to look at how we actually make sure that we are including the right people. So when we're thinking about running psychologically safe meetings, we want these meetings to be both productive meetings as well as meetings that aren't wasting people's time, which is why this particular component can be kind of tricky because we're trying to balance inclusion and productivity. Inviting everybody seems like the easy answer. I'm gonna include everybody that I think would be affected by this, right? That is the one solution that everybody says that promotes inclusion for everybody. However, when you invite everybody, it's also inviting a lot of waste of time, right? Because there are people that don't need to be there or don't need to be there to the degree that other people do, okay? And I wanna spell something out for you. When I talk about the word inclusion, I'm literally talking about who to include. Some of us might hear the word inclusion. We might be thinking of kind of uh, uh, inclusion in the sense of diversity, equity, inclusion, sort of uh, uh, that framework of things. But in this sense, I'm really talking about kind of bodies and, and people that we are including in particular meetings. So this question of balancing, how do I balance inclusion and productivity? I wanna give you some interesting information here. And this, to me, I don't know, this kind of blows my mind a little bit. There was a recent study, um, and, and this is actually a couple of years old now, so we should probably um, you know, see if they've replicated this study, but said that there's 55 million meetings a day in the U.S., right? Um, you know, and and I, I read an article recently that says the average, and I and I recognize not everybody who's on the call today or is is in the U.S. or from the U.S., but this article that I read the other day was talking about in the U.S. that on average we spend 15 to 22 hours a week in meetings if you are a full time 40 hour person, right? And what they said in that article was that only about 14% of people declined invites, even though they wanted to decline so much more, right? And what this turns into, and this, this is a wild statistic, for any organization that is 5,000 or more employees, this turns into a $100 million waste of money with people who are spending time attending non-critical meetings. So if that's not enough for you, let me throw some other stats at you. So Corn Ferry, the consulting company, did a, did a survey, and they said that uh, over half of their employees felt like they were spending excessive time on calls and meetings and had limited time to actually do their work, right? Two-thirds of them said because of the volume of meetings that they were in, they weren't able to reach peak productivity, peak performance. Over half of the people in this study said that meetings, they believe them to be the biggest waste of time of the things that are considered time wasters in the workplace. And here's the, the bottom statistic I think is, is so big, right? Only 11% of people believed that every meeting they attended was productive. So the bottom line, right, is that people oftentimes, we send meeting invitations out of politeness, right? And then we accept them out of politeness, which sounds great when we're talking about inclusion and bringing everybody to the table. However, this leads to a tremendous amount of time wasting. It leads to modest returns. We have meetings that fail to engage people. We have meetings that inadvertently cause people to tune out or tune away or disregard people's time. We schedule things over one another all the time. So we need to think about things through this framework, need versus nice versus want. 
So not having the right people in the room is one of the top 10 complaints that people have about wasted meetings. Has anybody ever experienced that before? If that's you, say that's me in the chat. Just write, that's me. Not having the right people in the meeting, meaning you are having a meeting and then you, the result of the meeting is, oh, well, you know, John and Sue aren't here, so we actually need to set up another meeting. So you've had a meeting now and what you've come from that is that, okay, I need to have another meeting, right? A lot of organizations have the bad habit of just including everybody, right? We create these listservs, we just send it out to everybody, all of this sort of stuff. So don't let this happen. So the questions that I want you to ask yourself, and man, these are big questions, right? Write these down, put them on a post-it note, whatever this might be. So you want to ask yourself the questions, in order to accomplish my purpose, who needs to be there? Keep in mind, we've already determined our intent. That was the first step. We figured out what is the actual outcome of the meeting. So who needs to be there? Whose input, support, knowledge, expertise, whatever is needed to be part of this meeting. And when you do that, you need to make sure, number one, that those people are invited. But a big one is that they're available and they're committing to you. It's not enough to just invite somebody. If you invite somebody over a time that they have a conflicting meeting, it's great that they were invited, but they sure aren't going to be coming, right? And you want to communicate to those people, hey, this is why I invited you. Heidi, I want you to come to this meeting because I know that you're an expert about this. So I want to make sure that you're available at this specific time. You can commit to being there. And I'd love for you to weigh in on X, Y, and Z when you're in that meeting. When you communicate to people why they were selected to be there, you give them kind of that nod heads up of sort of things. And they also know the expectation that, hey, I want you to speak up about this. I want you to share some thoughts, right? And you might be thinking, Mickey, okay, yeah, only inviting people that need to be there. It sounds super great, right? But that hurts some people's feelings, right? So let's take this one step further. Then it becomes the question of, well, who would be nice to have there? Helping people avoid pointless meetings is a nice thing to do. So let's be clear about that, right? Um, but letting people know, hey, it would be nice to have you there, but it's not required. People like that. I consider that to be a huge courtesy. That happens a lot for me where people say, you know, it'd be cool if you were there, but it's also okay if you're not. Like you don't need to be there. It's as simple as that. And what that communicates to me is I respect and value your time. And I respect and value your experience and your opinions, but I'm not going to say that you absolutely need to be there. This is, this is the people that you put in the optional category of an invite. And then lastly is the question of who wants to be there. And this is a tricky one, right? The answer to this question needs to be, you know, the, the again, who needs to be there? And if there are people that want to be there, maybe it's just the nosy person in the office, right? Every organization has one of those people that just wants to know what's going on, right? They want to be in on all the meetings because they want to be the information maven. They want to be the information source. But it is likely that they don't need to be there. One additional question that I want to offer to you that's not necessarily on this slide, but was offered to me um, by a prior supervisor and I think was incredibly powerful um, that helped me kind of filter out who's needed and who's not needed is calculating the cost of the meeting based on ROI, right? Um, and ROI is hard, but if you started on the first end of things, thinking about who's there and what is the approximation of their hourly cost. With the people around the table, is this a 500 per hour meeting? Is this a $5,000 per hour meeting? Is this an $8,000 per hour meeting? Depending on who I have around the table. 
And am I willing to expend $8,000 on a 60-minute meeting? Am I going to get the return that equates itself to the expense of pulling those people away? When she introduced me to that, ooh, man, that was incredible. And I don't want you to be spending time. I don't want you to like email your HR folks and be like, hey, what's the hourly rate of this person and this person, right? And Mickey from Learn It told me I should just do this. No, approximate that, right? It's a great filtration tool. So we need to focus on this idea of how do we reduce meeting size at the same time promote inclusivity, right? We need to make sure that the people who are there feel valued for being there, but also the people who aren't there aren't feeling rejected or you're not burning bridges, okay? So there's a couple of different things that you can do, and this is really, really incredible, and I would I would totally encourage you to, to try this out very soon. The first is to split your agenda into two smaller meetings with different attendees, okay? Um, and so there might be instances where you do need to have everybody, you know, who, who is coming to the table, but you need to have them at two different times or whatever this looks like. A different way to do this, and I love, love, love this, is seeking ideas and input from non-attendant people, people that aren't coming to the meeting passively, and discussing those results in the meeting. And this can be done simply as such. So you set your meeting invite, you're going to invite these five people, but you have a list of seven or eight people that would be in that nice category, but not required. So you email those seven or eight people and you say, hey, these are the three things we're gonna be talking about this meeting. I would love your input. If you could provide your input by Monday end of business, so that then I can bring that input and kind of summarize that back to the people who are going to be meeting together Tuesday midday, that would be great incredibly uh, uh, helpful technique, right? Because then what you're doing is you are bringing that additional layer of feedback, but you're not actually asking people to take one hour out, out of their time. And in fact, for some of those things, when I get asked to do stuff like that, it's usually like a five minute, 10 minute commitment for me to write down some thoughts or send a quick video back to somebody, right? And then what you can do is, you know, you can share those detailed meeting notes back to that group of non-attendees so that they know what was discussed in the meeting that the people went to and everybody feels on the same page. And I want to reinforce one thing, right? In the invite, right, we are including these words. I am including you in this meeting because so that people know why they're there. Each attendee knows the purpose and the meeting facilitator does as well. So the third component of running a psychologically safe meeting is setting a positive tone, right? Um, I always tell pe people to be the leader that you would want to follow, right? When you are setting the tone for your organization, you need to put yourself in your team's shoes first and, you know, think about, are you the type of person that they want to come to work for every day, right? And how are you working to set that positive tone? It starts with you. If you are a leader, you are a people leader in this meeting, right? Creating a positive environment begins with you as that leader, what I would tell you, and several of us have probably had this experience, is that your mood, what you bring to a meeting, whether it's in the Zoomiverse or it's in person or whatever that looks like, your mood, your thoughts, your priorities, your baggage, your invisible backpack that we're all carrying around every single day can immediately influence a meeting. It can make it better or it could derail it altogether. The verbals and nonverbal presence that we bring as facilitators affects the psychological safety in the moment in that room. And again, this is in-person as well as virtual. So we have to be willing as leaders to stand in front of the mirror and kind of ask ourselves some questions about setting the tone. And the first one really is about what is our current mood? 
my teammate, David, who's in the call right now, he spent a lot of time developing some amazing classes on emotional intelligence, self-awareness and social awareness for us, right? Um, so he's in the room right now. And uh, maybe David, if you wanted to pop a chat, uh, a link into the chat of like where those classes are located, but it's asking yourself these questions about my own emotional intelligence kind of my ability to understand my own emotions and how that influences who I am as an individual and as a leader. How am I able to empathize with other people? How am I able to put myself in their shoes? But what is my current mood? I know I've been part of meetings before that the leader comes in, slams their stuff down on the table and says, okay, listen, folks, I don't have a ton of time today. So we're just going to get right into this, blah, blah, blah. Ooh, that immediately sets the tone right? We also want to ask ourselves the question, what other priorities are on my mind, right? Are you thinking about big decisions you're making? Are you thinking about your home life? Are you thinking about your, your spouse, your kids getting cut off in the car that morning? What's your communication style? For some of us, our communication style, it, it, lends, our, it lends itself to running meetings that are really great and really comfortable. And some of us may run meetings that feel a little bit more firm, a little bit more difficult, right? The way in which, you know, we use our nonverbals, how we smile, how we smirk, how we shake our head, how we hold our body, it changes the message of our words. So in addition to reflecting on our own self and how we can bring positivity to the meeting, there's a couple of tactical things I want to offer to you too. And I see David's throwing the links in the chat to, to those couple of courses too. So thank you so much, David. I appreciate it. So in addition to kind of putting that mirror up in front of yourself and kind of how understanding and acknowledging my mood, my emotions, my priorities, how they affect the room, both in person and virtually, there's a couple of different tactical pieces that we can focus on. And the first one is kind of doing the work of pre-planning, taking the time to open your meeting properly, right? Um, a lot of meetings, how they are opened, predict how they go. So a strong and clear opening kind of sets the meeting up for success, right? People need to feel like they are in competent hands, that they have a good pilot that's going to be leading them through this, that that pilot is setting a good tone, all of this sort of stuff. You can do this in a couple of different ways, right? You can do this through small chat, how you actually kind of welcome people into the room, how you make eye contact, how you use your body, right? Virtually or in person. You can plan for other people to run the meeting. I used to do this all the time with my team. I would have, we would rotate. I would run one meeting and another person on the team and another person. Not only does that allow people kind of a view behind the curtains of what it is like to be a meeting leader and a team leader, but it also gives people kind of the opportunity to see how they can change the dynamics in the meetings. We also want to plan meetings around the strengths and the experiences and the preferences of our, our employees as much as possible. I'm a big morning person, right? I have a ton of energy first thing in the morning. Mid-afternoon is terrible for me. I had a team and, you know, I wanted to have my team meeting first thing in the morning because that's when my energy was good. Well, guess what? I had a team of afternoon and evening people. So in order for me to capture their best energy, their best ideas, I had to move that meeting and I had to do something to adjust myself. There was nine of them and one of me. I needed to adjust for them. Pre-work, some people call this homework, some people call this pre-work. Pre-work may not always be necessary, but sometimes it's really helpful. Hey, everybody, here's a link to a quick video that gives you, you know, a video of myself kind of giving you a quick five-minute context of what we're going to be talking about in the meeting. Or please read this article ahead of time. Please read this report. Assigning a note taker, great too. 
The second kind of tactical piece to this is doing what we can to start strong and starting with positivity. Again, it's always good to share good news at the beginning of the meeting. I've attended meetings too that facilitate, you know, have, have a centering practice. If people, if any of you are like me, you might go back to back to back to back to back. How impactful would it be is when you start a meeting, you just do a quick breathing exercise, 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then you share the purpose of the meeting. Very plainly, the purpose of today's meeting is to blah, right? And so not only are we giving people a chance to breathe, relax, get comfortable, get focused in on what this is, but you're also telling them, hey, again, this is why we're here. What we will achieve from this meeting is. And we can also do things like giving people opportunities. Hey, you know, as we're closing out the meeting today, I wanted to tell you we have a couple of conferences that we have some funds to send some folks to. So maybe, you know, I'm going to send out some information about that so that, you know, you can get, see if you're interested in that. Um, there's also an internal training opportunity. I'm going to send some information as many of us want to go as possible, right, that you can share that sort of stuff. And then you focus on finishing strong. Even if the meeting was called to deliver bad news or give constructive feedback to a team or something like that, you want to share positive information to close that meeting out. You want to try to avoid ending on a bad news, like on, on bad news or bad note, right? So you communicate your confidence. I know that we can complete this better next time. I know we can. It was just a couple of mistakes that we made, but I know that we can do it better next time. You can do things like, brainstorming growth opportunities, you know, so saying something like, I know that we're all eager to get this project back on track and back on the timeline. So let's work on some strategies amongst this awesome team that we have together to get things back on track. And doing things too, like acknowledging your employees' strengths, you know, saying like, you know, some, some people in meetings will be like, you know, I just wanted to tell everybody Jasmine's a rock star. Okay, go Jasmine. But instead, maybe we want to say, you know, Jasmine helped the team succeed this week because she took extra time to carefully review the engagement strategy and condensed our ideas into some tactics and started to put some things into play, all because of the one conversation that we had. Jasmine, you're a rock star, right? So you're highlighting individual strengths. Circling back to our different uh, uh, components that we have here, predictability. Oof, I love this one, right? Nobody likes surprises. I always say this, you know, nobody likes surprises except on your birthday. And maybe some people don't like surprises on their birthday, right? But as a meeting leader, you don't want a surprise, I quit, right? From somebody who's frustrated in a meeting. Similarly, we don't want people to feel like they're being put on the hot seat right in the middle of a meeting, right? Because, or, or that people don't know what's coming next. So we want to talk about how do we establish predictability, one of the things about human beings, we thrive on consistency and predictability. We like to know what we can expect from people. And this happens all the time, every single day, from how you interact with your spouse, your children, your drive to work, what you do, what you can expect when you're interacting with people. We thrive on consistency and predictability. It breeds trust. And trust leads to psychological safety. So how do we do that, right? There's a couple of different things we can do when we're thinking about running meetings. And this is, this is running good meetings, but we're adding on the icing and the sprinkles of running psychologically safe meetings. And this first one, this is not a surprise to anybody, but I will tell you there are so many meetings that I have been a part of that had they had done this, gosh, it would have been so much a better meeting. And that's utilizing an agenda. 
There's meetings that just get set and people show up. And what's the very first thing that somebody says when they come to a meeting without an agenda? Somebody pop that in the chat. Go ahead and put that in there. What's the very first thing that somebody says when you come to a meeting, people have gathered together and there's nothing in the meeting invite or something like that. What are we talking about again, right? A lot of people will say that, right? What are, what are we here for? What are we supposed to be working on? The other thing too is respecting people's time. You know, we want to make sure that when we're actually pulling people together, starting and ending on time establishes not only the pre predictability, but it shows other people that you value their time, that they're not wasting their time, right? And we'll dig into each one of these a little bit more, but making sure too that participants know their roles. What exactly is my purpose of being here? So let's dig into each one of these a little bit more. Utilizing an agenda, oh, again, how many of us, you know, raise your hand, put an emoji, maybe a little sad face in the chat, something like this. If you have not, you know, been in a meeting before that didn't have an agenda, right? This is just, it. Ugh, like it drives me nuts. People are being pulled together for a meeting and we don't exactly know why, right? So a couple of tips that I have for you, right? The first thing is making sure that you're providing the purpose. Again, you are telling people without any doubt, without any uncertainty, this is why we are here. And this should come in the actual meeting invite title. One of the things I see all the time is things like meet with Mickey or talk about progress. I don't know what that means. Tell me what the actual purpose is. And man, put it in the title of the invite. Then go back in there and put the agenda. We're going to talk about this and then we're going to talk about this and then we're going to make a decision by about this by the end of the meeting. Allowing your employees to contribute to the agenda research shows that when people feel like they contribute to something, they are much more likely to be bought into it, right? And so if you give people the opportunity to contribute to something like an agenda, you put it on a shareable document, right? And you tell people, hey, contribute any action items, any talking items you have, just put your name next to it so that I know it's you so that you can go ahead and talk when it comes to that. It gives people that sense of ownership, right? It gives that sense of meaning and value. I also love this idea of using the same agenda format. Actually, I in meetings that I run, I use a running agenda meeting. It just becomes one big document. So you're not having to look for, okay, was that September 25th meeting? Was that October 7th? I don't know. You just scroll through it. It's the same agenda format, copy, paste. Just put the next meeting up top, right? So then it's one document, one ring to rule them all, right? And you can include things like speakers and timelines and note takers and links for different things. We also want to consider the agenda order itself. There was a study by Middle Tennessee State University that talked about items, no big surprise here, items earlier on in agenda get more talk time than the stuff at the end. If this stuff at the end is difficult and complex and super important, you need to move it around. So we talked about, too, this idea of starting and ending on time. This is all about trust and showing the value of other people's times, right? You want to be the best steward of other people's time that you can. And use it, you know, use it wisely, wisely protect it. You don't want to be taking advantage of it. And so using time management, right, you know, if you tell people, okay, we have 60 minutes, we're going to do a little bit of, you know, chit chat and all this sort of stuff. But so the inner 50 minutes of that meeting, we're going to break it down for 10 minutes, we're going to talk about this for five minutes, we're going to talk about this, whatever that looks like. I encourage you to dig into Parkinson's law, right? Parkinson's law is that things will expand to the length of time that you give it. Meaning Outlook automatically, I think when you set up Outlook, automatically has meetings as 60 minutes. Change them to 45, change them to 30, right? 
the fact that most businesses are either on the half hour or hour, right? This is a problem because we just go ahead and we take the time that we were given. Even if it's a 20 minute topic, man, we just took 30 minutes to do it. That becomes a waste of people's time. Okay. You could utilize the 50-25 rule. So instead of having meetings be 60 minutes and 30 minutes, you actually change your meetings to 50 minutes and 25 minutes. The organization that I worked at before I came to join the team at Learn It did that. And it was incredibly powerful because it gave you that time to stand up, stretch, go to the restroom, get a snack, pet your dog, whatever you needed to do. It gives people transition time mentally to pack away where they were and get ready for where they're going. The other piece to this is to make sure people understand their role too. What are you actually doing here? Are we there to make a decision? Are we brainstorming, right? Are we there to discuss strategies and updates? Can I ask questions in advance, right? Can I send some questions in advance? You know, I, I, you know what, how is this going to impact my work? What do I need to stop or start doing? Okay. Facilitating inclusive contribution. This is the second to last one, right? So inclusive contribution, a couple of tips. Remember when we talked about intention at the beginning of things, we were talking about this idea of like, you know, the setting the intent of decision-making or strategizing or whatever it might be. When we're talking about inclusive contribution, the biggest piece to this is being a good listener. Actively listening and making sure that you are summarizing the discussion, right? This has everything to do with our ability. We have classes on uh, uh, elements of transformative listening. We have communication skills classes that we can offer to you at Learn It, right? But making sure that we are actively listening to what people are saying and summarizing and bringing that back. The very best meeting facilitators, you know, control the meeting, but they don't control the conversation. Meaning when it is time for you to be quiet, Shut your mouth and be quiet. Let other people speak. Do what you can to, to encourage debate, right? This idea of inclusive contribution. We want differing ideas. We want people to challenge one another. And remind people to make sure that criticism is constructive and it's helpful and it's work-focused. I'm not going to tell somebody, you make crappy coffee, right? That has nothing to do with work. It might be the truth, right? You might make a really bad cup of coffee, but that has nothing to do with the reason why we're here. So a couple of things that you can do to actually facilitate inclusive contribution, right? What can we do to actually bring camaraderie, build camaraderie? This is the small talk stuff. Some people say, oh, well, you know, I don't really like that stuff. But if it's gone, you'll notice. Gathering people's opinions and ideas, anonymous polls and Zoom meetings, super great. You can also use things like, you know, uh, uh, having people use post-it notes and, you know, one is bad, two is neutral, three is good. Having people kind of do some voting, send some paper in, whatever it looks like. There's this concept called brain writing, right? During a brain writing session, each uh, attendee will anonymously write down their ideas instead of verbally bringing them forward. And it allows the meeting facilitator to actually kind of bring those perspectives and give them voice, but it makes people maybe feel a little bit more safe and secure around this. And what there was a study that was about this that said brain writing meetings actually generated more original content and original ideas by upwards of 40%. So it's giving everybody a voice, but doing so in a way that maybe makes people feel a little bit more uh, um, included, but that they don't have to bring voice necessarily. And you want to make sure that you're, you know, preventing people from veering too far off topic. Use a parking lot, right? A document. You have somebody who's keeping track of this is the stuff we need to talk about next time, but not this time. 
and creating a sense of accountability, right? Using breakout rooms to have people so that everybody's engaged. You can have people, you know, call people out for specific ideas, call people out to be the note taker of the action items, whatever that looks like. The last component, we have just about five minutes left. The last component I want to talk with you about is seeking feedback, right? Again, nobody's going to come forward to you and say, Mickey, that was a unproductive, unpsychologically safe meeting that you ran, right? We need to do some periodic assessments to see if that was actually good. Collecting attendee feedback can be super valuable for you in figuring out where do you need to pivot, right? So the first thing I would tell you to do, and I used to do this all the time with my teams, was actually doing a periodic assessment every few months, right? An anonymous short survey, right? And you can actually, I'll put the questions up on the next screen here too, but you could ask these questions every three months, okay? Maybe every six months. What should one, you know, what should I stop doing? One thing I should stop doing as the meeting leader. What's thing was something that I should start doing that I'm not currently doing, right? What's working well and should be, con, you know, continued, so these open-ended sort of questions, you take that and then you bring those back to your one-on-ones with your team members and you say, hey, I want to I get your thoughts specifically about this to help you on, you know, help me understand a little bit more. What do you think people meant by this? It's not saying, what do you think when you said this? Because I don't know who said it. And then you report back in the team meetings, hey, I got this feedback from you all and here's what I'm doing to change. Here's what I'm going to be starting. Here's what I'm going to be changing doing. The last thing I want to talk with you about is safety, psychological safety, and leadership power, okay? So when we think about power and privilege and access, power is what lives within us as a positional leader, right? It is the person who's leading the meeting, the person who's facilitating the meeting, the person perhaps with the biggest, most power, powerful voice, title, credentials, whatever that looks like. The person with power is the person who makes decisions, and you need to be aware of that power that you bring to the room. The second piece is privilege, right? Privilege here is the person who's being given rights and access just by the nature of their role, their history at the organization, their title, their demographic status, whatever it might be. Oftentimes, our underrepresented individuals can be overshadowed and marginalized in meetings from this very piece, from privilege, right? Oftentimes, the highest paid person's opinion is the one that is getting the most privilege, and lastly, access. Access is about having access to information and resources and people, dollars, decision makers, history, having access to materials and resources that other people don't. But you can also connect this to kind of thinking about some of the other pieces that create some of the noise in your organization. So I want you to think about what power do I have or don't I have? What privilege do I have and don't I have? What access do I have and what access don't I have? And how does that contribute to feelings of psychological safety or feelings of psychological unsafety? Because these types of things, again, we as leaders need to be willing to put a mirror up in front of ourselves and say, listen, I have access to everything at this organization. I have the power based on my credential, my titles, my experiences, my education, and people are giving me a ton of privilege because of how I show up in this room. So I need to be aware of that as I come into a space, all of that comes with me. And that may be very generative and helpful, and that may actually be very destructive and disturbing, okay? So as we're closing things out, I want to give you a couple of actions to take. The first is to assess each one of those different types of meetings that you have. Use the handout, right? Go through that for each one of your meetings. 
Second, set some goals around how do you set a positive tone? How do you establish predictability? How are you facilitating inclusive contributions? Set some goals and incorporate that into the work that you do. Keep this practical and tactical. And then lastly, conduct those periodic assessments for feedback of your meetings. Thank you for joining us on the Learn It podcast. We wish you well on your learning journey and see you next time.